Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Our scripture reading will be from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, My parents uh, taught me very much about the importance of gratitude and saying, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, being polite and making sure to say you're thankful when you are. And so I'm thankful for the eldership and the congregation's emphasis on these biblical matters, my opportunity to be a part of this with you, your kind words, your hospitality has been extraordinary. And uh, these brethren in the back have worked so well with me with these slides, and uh, certainly I will package them up in a PDF and send them here so that they can be accessed for you to peruse at a much more casual pace. I teach for an entire quarter at the Memphis School of Preaching on this subject, and I've tried to cram not an entire quarter, but a whole lot into uh, these five messages, and you've been extraordinarily patient, and uh, I know that you will enjoy continuing to study this. I know that you already had a good grasp of these things because I know the kind of preachers that you have here and what they stand for and how well they know the Bible and know the kind of leadership that you have. And you're loaded with talent throughout this congregation's uh, you know, meeting place from one place to the next. So uh, I know that you all are blessed and uh, certainly I've been blessed. We've been blessed to be with you here this weekend. Thank you so very much. We look forward to seeing you the next time that uh, Providence allows us to bump into one another. Now, what is going to happen at the end of time? I'm going to not labor or linger over things we've already discussed, uh, but I will say that the dead will be raised according to John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus said, marvel not at this For the hour is coming in the which, how many? All that are in the grave shall hear his voice and, notice, come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. When I was at Freed Hardeman, my wife and I, now my wife, then my fiance, would go to the library on occasions and listen to some old preacher's preach their sermons on a 33 and a third long playing album. 
That's like a big CD, young people, that we used to put a needle on and, and we'd get sound coming out of speakers. And now even CDs are outdated, it seems. But uh, Marshall Keeble was one of the preachers that we listened to. And he had a sermon in which he said something like this. Speaking of Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus in John chapter 11, Jesus makes the statement, Lazarus, come forth. And Brother Keeble said, do you know why he called him by name? Do you know why he said, Lazarus, come forth? Because if Jesus had just said, come forth, everything in the cemetery would have got up. And he said, that's the confidence I have in my Lord. And you know, he's right. Jesus very specifically called forth one man from the grave on that occasion. Lazarus come forth, but the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. But the wicked will be raised on that same day, as we noted. It's a resurrection of the just and the unjust, says Acts 24 and verse 15. It's one day with one resurrection, two classes of people raised, the righteous and the wicked. A second thing that we haven't really talked about as much is that the living will be changed. Now, what does that mean? That means some people will be alive when the Lord comes back, and when he does... They'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and following. This flesh and blood body cannot inherit an eternal kingdom. And so this flesh and blood body is going to be changed into a body suited for eternal residency. And the living will be changed in a moment of the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, the living will be changed, according to 1 Thessalonians four seventeen. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the already raised righteous dead, and already individuals who've been raised will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, says 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's the third thing. The world will be judged. A little boy came up to his granddaddy reading his Bible on the porch swing. He said, granddaddy, what are you doing? Do you have a Bible class to get ready for? And he said, no, son. I guess you might say I'm reading my Bible to get ready for my final exam. And there's a measure of truth to that. These 31,102 verses are the material over which we'll be tested on the day of judgment. Our final exam is not going to be one that we'll be exempted from. Sometimes in a school, when you have perfect attendance, you don't have to take the final. The final exam on the day of judgment will be one that all of us undergo. Each one of us shall give account of himself to God. We don't get in on the group plan. Did you hear about the flea that was on the back of the elephant that was crossing the wooden bridge? And when they got to the other end of the wooden bridge and the flea looked back and saw the bridge just swinging and swaying, the flea whispered into the ear of the elephant, boy, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? And I think the flea was just along for the ride, didn't do a whole lot of shaking of the bridge on his own. He was on someone else's coattail, so to speak, 
And so we're not getting in on the group plan. It's not, well, Lord, I was a member of the West Huntsville Church of Christ or whatever church you might be a member of, and they're a solid group of people. Therefore, that trickles down to me, right? It's an individual thing. Each one of us shall give account of himself to God, Romans 14, verse 12. And we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you notice that? Who's sitting on the judgment seat? John 5.22 says the Father's committed all judgment to the Son. It's the judgment seat of Christ. Why would Jesus be the perfect one to sit on the judgment seat? Well, let me ask you this. Will anyone on the day of judgment be able to look at the judge, Jesus, and say, but you don't know what it's like to live in a human body. You don't know what it's like to live in a human body. No one will be able to say that to Jesus. Because he's lived in a human body, he became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14. And I know that Jesus is going to be the perfect one to judge us. And all nations will be assembled before him, according to Matthew 25, 31 to 46. He will separate them on his right hand and on his left. To some he will say, enter into the joy of thy Lord, as we see it earlier in Matthew 25, He will say to some, welcome, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. To others, sadly, we see the words, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't meant for you, but you have chosen to go there by your decisions in life. And so Matthew 25 shows us the world will be judged. Number four, the heavens and earth will be destroyed. Second Peter chapter 3, we've alluded to, but I want to make one observation that I haven't yet made. If you go to that text there in Second Peter 3, it's becoming more fashionable to hear some folks suggest that what this is describing is not an annihilation, but a renovation. I did mention that, but I want to mention a word that is sometimes suggested as proof of that. In Second Peter chapter 3, you'll notice verse number 11, or verse number 10 rather, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And some have suggested that uh, that might be equally translated laid bare or exposed to laid bare and renovation is sometimes suggested as the meaning here. If you read the words that surround this, number one, by the way, the Greek word that is sometimes put in some translations for this, even by Bruce Metzger and other who evaluate Greek readings, this is given a D rating, meaning that it's not likely a good rating or a good reading of what words should belong there, especially When you consider all the surrounding descriptions, the heavens pass away with a great noise, the elements melt with fervent heat, the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up, and seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person should you be, he asked, in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be what? Dissolved. They're going to be absolutely 
melted according to the scripture in verse 12. The elements shall melt with fervent heat, but there will be a new dwelling place. You know, Genesis 1-1 introduces us to our first dwelling place with what words? In the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth. That's this dwelling place. The new dwelling place that is going to be ours is going to be heaven above indeed where Jesus went to prepare it for us. And may I remind you of something that Jesus said in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. Jesus prays in John 17 and verse 11 and notice what he says in the midst of John 17, 11. I come to thee, Holy Father. Now, if you look at the first verse of this chapter, where was the Father? Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. Did heaven exist as of John 17? One, well, of course it did. The Father was dwelling there. Heaven exists already. We're not waiting for it to be prepared as if it didn't exist prior to this. So Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven. And then he says in verse 11, I'm coming to you, Holy Father, But then notice what he says in verse number 24 about his apostles. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, not just his apostles, but those who believed on him through the word of the apostles, I will that they be with me where I am. Now wait, where is he? He's with the Father. Where does he pray that his followers would come to be? With him and with the Father, which is in heaven above not here in this place with a renovated heaven and earth. There is already a place that we long to go to in heaven above where Jesus now dwells with the Father and someday we will too. Notice here next, we will experience either everlasting punishment or life eternal. The word that describes the duration of heaven is the same word that describes the duration of hell There is no difference between the length. They are both eternal places of residency. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so this is a permanent thing. It's not going to be for a a few hundred years and then go out of existence. This is going to be a permanent place of residency, which brings me to the closing part of this series of messages No matter what we've covered about all these other subjects, the matter that matters most is, are you ready? Am I ready? Starting behind me and coming forward, are we ready for the end of time? Well, when will the end of time come for you? I know that the end of time will come for you. It will come for me when you die, when I die. Now, death is one of those things that we don't like to talk about. But it should not frighten the Christian because of what we know about the subject. First of all, who will die? Psalm 89, 48 asks, what man is there that shall live and not see death? Point him out to me. Where is the man that will live and never die? Physically speaking, it's appointed unto men once to die. And then comes the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27 the language that's used in 1 Kings 2.2 is the same language used in Joshua 23.14. I go the way of all the earth. Why is that language used? Because death is a universal event happening everywhere at every time to someone. 
true or false, there will be an obituary page tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the day after that. Yes. When I was in the seventh grade, I was in the school spelling bee, was able to do well enough to advance and ended up in the city finals with uh, 24 other contestants competing on television. We thought that was a big deal for the city championship spellers. And so this fellow sitting right next to me, I'll never forget for two reasons. His name was unusual, Jack Zillion, million with a Z, Jack Zillion. He looked at me and he said, right before the cameras turned on and the competition started, he looked at me and he said, I hope you win. Do you know how much I wish I'd had the class to say something nice back to him like that? What I said was, so do I. Wow. Talk about uh, pride going before fall, haughty spirit before destruction. Uh, It was headed my way. There were two of us still standing, Jack Zillion and Brad Clark, as I was then known. I misspelled the word negate. I'll never misspell it again. He spelled it correctly and spelled dilly-dally for the win. You can tell the details are still fuzzy in my mind, right? No. I remember every bit of this. Perhaps it's appropriate then that they put the story of my crashing and burning on the obituary page. A sister in the church where my dad was the local preacher in Illinois saw my picture with my name on the obituary page, did not bother to read the article, and called my house in tears wanting to know what happened to Brad. And my mom says, what do you mean what happened to him? He's sitting here with us in the living room. And she said, the paper said he died. (laughs) No, the paper did not say that. I just happened to have my picture on the obituary page beneath all the other obituaries that did have pictures and stories of their death. This was the story about my dying on the spelling bee competition. I said all that to you to say this. It doesn't freak me out if I may use that expression, to know that someday my name or picture, perhaps both, is going to appear on the obituary page. Somewhere, Bradley Joseph Clark passed from this life on such and such a date. He survived by Request that all donations in lieu of flowers go to the Memphis School of Preaching. It would probably say something like that. I don't know when that's going to be. And you and I both know that the question of when is a matter that we sometimes see dealt with in Scripture. There was a rich fool who thought to himself he had it made. He was going to uh, live for years and enjoy the abundance of his harvest of of his grain. He's, I've got so many, I've got so much surplus. I don't know what to do. I'm going to pull down my barns and build even bigger ones. What about the widow down the road that might need some of your grain? Could you give some of it to her? It's all about him. He's focused on himself. And you remember the statement that is made to him after he'd planned, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Oh, you provided all this? So we see this man 
forgetting God in his daily life. He forgot to factor God into the equation. I don't know when I'm dying. Some people say, well, I'll tell you, I know I'm going to die. But the casket in which my body will be placed hasn't been made yet. My death is so far off in the distant future. They haven't yet made my casket or urn in which my remains will be placed. And in truth, it may be waiting in a warehouse for someone to pack it up and send it to the place where your funeral home is located. Well, do I need to be living in somber fear every day about such an event? I don't know when I'm going to die, but I do know what happens to me after I do. My Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, the spirit that's inside of me right now that animates this body is going to return to God who gave it. And if you read Luke 16, you and I get in a glimpse as to how that spirit or soul of ours gets into the presence of God. In Luke chapter 16, we read, of course, of the rich man and Lazarus. We see the rich man and we see the poor man, Lazarus. They both die. The Bible says in verse number 20 that Lazarus was at the gate of this rich man. He was full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried, but he ended up in torment. And the Bible says he saw Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom, and there was a great gulf fixed between them that would not allow any passage from one place to the other. And so we see this rich man and this man Lazarus. Now, if you, one little boy was asking Bible class, which one of these men do you want to be? And the little boy said, I want to be the rich man while I live and Lazarus after I die. And afraid that some folks think that's possible. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, gold, and yet was rich toward God as well. So it's not impossible for those things to coexist, though it is rare. And I'm glad that we do have some Christian men and women who are able to be both for the glory of God and the support of his work. But this idea of knowing that the angels came and took Lazarus into Abraham's bosom. On March the 4th of 2016, my mother walked into the room where we were sitting at my house and she said to my dad, Ted, I can't breathe. And we both got up and went into her bedroom because she turned around and went into her bedroom. They lived at our house. And when we got in there, she would stand up and then she would sit down. She would stand up, then she would sit down and she was very agitated. I said, Mom, are you having a panic attack? And she said, no, I'm dying. And I thought she just thought she was. But within a couple of minutes after saying, I'm dying... She slithered into my dad's arms and we could not resuscitate her. We tried what the people on the 911 phone call were telling us to do, but we weren't able to revive her. 
Every time I walked by that door of her bedroom on the way to mine, those scenes continued to just play in my mind. And I told a preacher friend of mine about it one day. And he said, you know, the next time you walk by that door, think this instead. If it's anything at all like Luke 16 describes it, angels visited that room. You didn't see them. But they took your mom's soul into Abraham's bosom just as Lazarus was taken there. That helped me to think about good things rather than negative things. And you know, the end of time is is one of those things that happens when we die because there's no more earthly time to get right what we didn't get right when we were alive on earth. But that's why it's so important to redeem the time. Because the end of time will also come for you and come for me when he comes. And when is he coming back? Someone wants to know. We've already alluded to this in Matthew 24. But of that day and hour knows no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. I have a preacher friend who's now passed on to his reward who once told me about driving down the highway listening to an AM radio station. He was listening to this preacher from a denominational organization claim that he had been studying all of the prophecies of Scripture. He'd done the calculations and he said emphatically, I have concluded without question the world is coming to an end in three weeks. Three weeks, it'll all be over. Here's why. And he tried to piece this scripture with this scripture with this scripture. None of them went together, but he just made those allegations for 28 minutes. He went on three weeks and it's all going to be over. And then his announcer came on at the end of his program and said, if you really enjoyed this sermon and you'd really like a copy of it to listen to again, write to us at this address and please allow four to six weeks for delivery. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. I thought we were all going to be gone in three. Man doesn't know. No man knows. Matthew 24 talks about if the good man of the house had known in what hour the thief would come, he he would have watched and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. We simply don't know. The real question as we close out is, will you be ready? Will I be ready when he comes? Matthew chapter 25, 1 to 13 gives us a parable of the ten virgins. A parable of the ten virgins. And you know, we read about a wedding there in verse number one of Matthew 25. In fact, the Bible here says, as uh, it comes right on the heels of Matthew 24, and so the subject matter really is the same as we continue to talk about the final day of judgment. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now in his Uh, Manners and Customs of the Bible Book, James Freeman writes the following. On the occasion of a marriage, the bridegroom, attended by his friends, went to the house of the bride, and he brought her with her friends, her bridal party, in joyful procession to his own house. The virgins mentioned in the text were probably some of the friends of the bride. 
And this common Palestinian custom was for the friends of the bride to stay with her until the moment the bridegroom arrived, at which time they would light their lamps. Why? Because they weren't allowed to be on the streets without a lit lamp. If you're going to be a part of this procession, you have to have your lamps all trimmed and bright. And so they would go out to meet the bridegroom. They'd follow him in procession until they reached his house, at which place they would have the feast. So we see in Matthew 25, the waiting. The Bible says in verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. But how many are depicted as slumbering and sleeping in some of the paintings we see of this parable? Uh, That looks like only five slumbering and sleeping. Scripture says they all slumbered and slept. See, that's not the problem. Slumbering and sleeping is not the problem. Because you can slumber and sleep with prior preparation. It's the best sleep you'll ever have. But these five were perhaps depicted in that way because... We know that five of them were foolish and five were wise. How do we know which ones were which? Well, we're about to find out at the waking. The cry is made at verse 6 at midnight. There's a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. And so we see in verse 7, they all arose. They all trimmed their lamps. And that's when we come in contact with the waning of the oil here in verse 8. The foolish said to the wise, give us uh, some of your oil. Our lamps are, King James says, gone out. Literal tense means are going out. We have lamps that are not going to stay lit if we don't get more oil. And we have to have them lit to be a part of the procession. So please give us some of your oil. Will you allow your preparation to become our preparation? And on this occasion, as they're clamoring for the wise virgins to give some of their oil, share some of that with us, won't you please? You'll notice that there is a withholding. In Matthew 25 and verse number nine, but the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and Buy for yourselves. There are some things you can't do for me. You can't take the Lord's Supper for me. You can't sing for me. You can't uh, do other things that are a part of the worship service for me in my place. Each one of us has to do our part. And when it comes to preparation for our bridegroom's arrival, all of us have to do our own individual preparation. And so please notice that the wise virgins were wise in part. Why? Because They actually took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They had done their part to prepare because they didn't know the exact time he was going to come back. They had enough oil with them just in case it was longer than they expected. And that is exactly the kind of, well, wait a minute, let me ask this question. Is it possible in a setting like this of people who are all here together Is it possible to have some in the room that are prepared and more than prepared? They've double-checked. They're, yep, I've got my oil checked. I'm ready. And others who are sitting in the same place waiting for the same event who have not done the proper review. Uh, Upon further review, I'm not ready. 
I know that's possible because that's what we're reading about in Matthew 25. When we see this withholding of the oil from those who didn't bring it on their own, we then see a welcoming party for verse 10, the wise virgins. While the foolish virgins went to buy, the bridegroom came, they that were ready went in with him. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting for that day to come? These wise virgins were ready for the bridegroom's arrival. And while the foolish virgins were out trying to do last minute preparations, the bridegroom came and the wise virgins went with him to his house. And what does the Bible say? They that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And so here they are arriving. Unfortunately, we only see five depicted as arriving. Where are the other five? They're trying at the last minute to get ready and they waited too long to try to get ready and they're not going to make it. In fact, the way I know that is one of the most haunting phrases in all of the Bible is found in Matthew 25 and verse 10, the last phrase located there, and the door was shut. I worked at Burger Chef in my high school years. I don't know if some of you have even heard of that place. It was a northern restaurant at the time. And I love 10 o'clock because that's when the manager says, Clark, lock up. I'd lock the doors. I'd start wiping tables, sweeping, and then mop. As soon as I do that, I can go home. More than once, I've locked the door. A car sees the interior light still on, so they pull in the parking lot. They park, they get out. They walk toward the door fully confident as they see me inside there that that door is going to open when they tug on it. And if I had a video of some of the facial expressions that I saw, I could probably make some money with it on America's Funniest Home Videos. I had one man pull on the door and when it did not open, he looked absolutely baffled. And then he looks at me and looks at his watch, looks at me and then he says, And I came over and he said, are y'all closed? And that's when you want to say what you cannot say. (laughs) Yes, we're closed. He said, hey, I've got a long road trip ahead of me. He said, do you have something in the warming bin you're going to throw away anyway that's already been prepared that you wouldn't have to dirty up any new dishes or anything, wouldn't have to get the grill all messy again and clean it again? Could I just buy what you're going to throw away? And I said, well, let me ask my manager. He wants to know if he can, okay, okay. Uh, sir, we're closed. I'm sorry. Wasn't going to open the door that night. One man just wanted a drink. I asked my manager, he says, he just wants a drink. No, we're closed. Door shut. At 6 a.m. the next morning, you could come to that same door, tug on it, and it would open. Because we're open again for business. But on this occasion, there was a one-time opportunity for these virgins that did not have preparation to go And when they missed their opportunity, they get there. Look at verse 11 of Matthew 25. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. And so think about this. The door was shut. And can you picture them knocking, trying desperately to get in, only to find we waited too late to get prepared. That's why the last verse of Matthew 25, 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Friends, if you and I understand that the first part of Matthew 24 is about the destruction of Jerusalem and not the end of time, all time, and we understand the last part of Matthew 24 is about the final day of judgment, if we've got that academically up here, and if we can explain why there's not going to be a secret rapture that happens a thousand and seven years before the last day on earth, and if we're able to explain that God doesn't owe the Jews any land in Palestine, and we're able to document when Christ started reigning in his kingdom, and that he's high priest and he'll never reign on an earthly throne According to Hebrews 8, 4, at the same time, he's a priest. He can't be on earth. Uh, and so he's our high priest in the heavens. And he is ruling on the throne right now of David in heaven above. And so let's say academically, check, check, check. I've got it all up here and I can talk to anyone at work about it. My friends, my neighbors, my loved ones about it. Check, check. I got it all. Committed right here. I know the scriptures. Question, is it possible for someone to know the academic answers without being ready themselves for the day of judgment? Yes or no? Is that possible? Yes, possible. I'm not making any accusation. I'm offering invitation. I'm suggesting that there is a way to make sure that you and I know that we're ready. And we don't have to be afraid. My mom and dad were going to a funeral and they pulled me aside. I was 17 at the time. My dad said, son, we have to go to Ohio for a funeral. We know you've missed a whole lot of work lately. And so we're going to do something we've not done before. We're going to leave you here by yourself. We think you're mature enough to handle it. And I don't know, son, if we'll be back tomorrow night. Or if they'll need us to stay longer, whatever the family needs, that's what we're going to do. I can't really tell you when we're coming back. So I knew they were coming back, but I didn't know exactly when. Now, I didn't want the first time they ever left me there alone on my own to be a time when I let the place get absolutely atrocious. And when the garage door starts coming up, I know, oh, no, 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 no. I'm scrambling at the last minute to try to get everything all cleaned up in apple pie order for mom and dad to come in and say, look at this place. This looks great. I thought to myself, you know, since I don't know when they're coming back and I want them to be approving when they do get back, I think I'll just stay ready. That way, whenever I heard the garage door start coming up, I'm ready. I don't have to. Be fearful of, oh no, this place is, looks like a pigsty and I'm not ready. No, 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 no. I just stay ready. And that's the most peaceable way to live. Just stay ready. You don't have to live in fear that you might die suddenly without expectation or that he might come suddenly without expectation. The best sleep I ever got in my life 
was when I was ready. I'll stand here and confess to you without any proudness at all. There was one small sliver of time in my high school years when I was really acting contrary to the way my parents had taught me to act, but they didn't know I was acting that way at school. I'm trying to be like my buddies around me and those people that were there. I wanted to be, you know, cool and be with them. I remember very vividly a storm coming through Indiana and rattling our house like I'd never felt it rattle before. And I very vividly remember thinking that house was about to come apart at the seams. And I very vividly remember thinking to myself, I'm not ready. The way I've been living and acting, I'm not ready. And so I remember praying this prayer to God. And I remember something in particular about it that I still want to pass on to you. I prayed, Father, please forgive me for not living up to the standards that my parents taught me. Forgive me for trying to be like someone else rather than like your son. And I said, Father, please help me to be so committed to living for you that if this storm passes and the sun is shining brightly in the morning, I won't go back to the way I was. I'll keep living for you. Even when the sun's shining and the storm's passed. In Proverbs chapter 3, in verse number 24, when you lie down, you won't be afraid. Yea, you'll lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. And I love 1 John 2.28. Now little children, abide in him so that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I want to live in such a way, though I know I'll never be perfect and I'll always be improving and needing to get better. I want to live in such a way that I can say, when the trumpet sounds, I can live in confidence that, Lord, I've been living for this very moment, looking forward to the chance to meet you and thank you for loving me enough to bleed for me and for saving me and for adding me to your church. And Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who bled and died for us. Thank you for sending him. And I now am so excited about getting to live with you and never having to say goodbye. Family reunions are bittersweet. You drive all these hours to spend two hours together and then you have to go your separate ways. From some family members, you might find that a happy moment. Others, not so much. But in all truth, the family that God wants us to enjoy is one that's everlasting, where we never have to say goodbye. We don't ever have to leave one another again. So this is your chance to become a child of God if you haven't yet. By hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized for the remission of sins. That's what the book of Acts says they did to become Christians. It's still true today. And if all of you who are Christians already are ready for the Lord to come back, certainly I'm not going to try to get them to sing 48 verses of Just As I Am until someone finally comes down here. 
Brother Ramsey sometimes used to say, we're going to have one verse of the invitation song and just one. It's one more than you'll get on the judgment day. Well, we're not going to go to either extreme. But this song's about to be sung. And you have a chance, if you're needing to fix something with God, to do it now and to leave this place in absolute confidence in your Lord. We love you. He loves you. Won't you love him back as together we stand and sing? We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School. West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.